Wolf, get away from those sheep. Bollocks. You're listening to the Wolf and the Shepherd podcast. Broadcasting from Fort Worth in the great state of Texas. Now, get ready for this episode of The Wolf and the Shepherd. Welcome to this episode of The Wolf and the Shepherd. Today we have with us Kung Lee. Kung, so glad you could join us today. Thank you for having me, guys. Thank you for coming on, Kung. Um, if you hear any strange noises today, we're in a bit of a unique situation where we record. We have an office next to us where um, the lady moves a lot of furniture on a daily basis. I don't know if she's kind of hoping to leave that job and move into quite internal decor because I think she moves the furniture about once every 30 minutes. And the other side of us, we've got, um, I think it must be a COVID ward or something because regularly from about noon or this time onwards every day we hear coughing fits and the other day we recorded at about 7 30 at night and thought we're going to be safe there's going to be no people coughing next door and sure enough they broke out coughing for about 20 minutes to the point where i thought i was going to have to call an ambulance so if you hear any noises in the background I, I just want to let you know it's uh we got some stuff going on but um wanted to start when i was a kid about seven or eight i took my first helicopter ride Okay, and I grew up in England. There's not too much to see in England. And I went on a uh, helicopter tour of London around all the famous sites in London. But your first helicopter ride was a bit rough, apparently. Do you want to tell us about that, your first time on a helicopter at a very young age? You know, um, uh, in 1975, um, uh, about a week before the fall of Saigon, you know, I was so young. I was only two. So um, I, I really don't remember. Um, um, my, my mom, my grandfather just told me the story how we got lifted out and we, we were very lucky to get out of Vietnam um, you know, just a, a week later the fall of Saigon everyone already knew that Saigon was going to fall um, basically um, my grandfather was former police five different cities he, his rank was about like a colonel you know, like if he was in the military but he was uh, you know, chief of police and um, uh Basically, the government, uh, the, the U.S. government says, hey, um, you have two hours, um, one suitcase each, um, and uh, be here, you know, at this time, or we will leave. So we got back there, and, and you know, we, we, we lucked out, and, you know, three refugee camps later, first we went to the Philippines uh, for, um, um, you know, I can't remember, for, for months, and then, then we went to Guam, then we went to uh, Monterey. And then from Monterey, we got a sponsor and we lived in Monterey for a bit. Then uh, my grandfather was able to get up on his feet and then uh, move us to San Jose in our own house. But we were, we were that typical family that was like, you know, 12, 13 in a house. And one bedroom was my uh, grandparents. One bedroom was my great grandmother. And then uh, one room was um, the uncles and, and then the other, uh, other room was the aunts. And I, I ended up staying with the aunt because my mother was the oldest aunt and, uh, I mean the oldest uh, sister and basically I was her kid. So I was, got stuck with, uh, you know, um, for, uh, for, uh, uh, you know, of my, you know, three of my, my mom and three of my aunts in one room. So. Yeah. Now, when you when you left Vietnam, did you have any family members left behind there? Because I know that evacuation was kind of pretty chaotic, and the 
not as well organized as it could be but under the circumstances i mean it was amazing that anybody actually got out um did you have family members left behind yeah actually um, you know my dad um ended up uh, staying behind just uh you know he, he couldn't make it out and he didn't want to leave you know like his his parents over there so um you know when 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 people evacuate it's you know it's uh, kind of kind of like let's go whoever makes it so right and so now you you get into california you get into san jose young kid uh tell us about you know growing up there in san jose and you know what kind of led you to where you're at today as far as you know the the mixed martial arts and all that good stuff uh, you know it's uh it's 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 one of those things where i believe like the 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 media spins things the wrong way even even way back then and so there's a lot of kids that didn't understand what happened to their dads or their uncles or their you know their family member relatives that went to vietnam and a lot of you know very um, you know, um uh, men and women didn't come back so there was a lot of uh there was a lot of bullying going on and um you know i i remember back in elementary to uh, when I started fighting back with uh, junior high, uh, you know, I, I ended up joining wrestling. My mom tried to put me in martial arts, but it was just, you know, it was just during that time, you know, it was uh, either nip, gook or chink, you know, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it, it was, it was, it was growing up being bullied gave me that extra, you know, push and drive to kind of be who I am today. Yeah, I think um, one unique thing when you're completely different to the people around you is that you attract a mix of people. You attract a mix of people who want to bully, but you also attract people who are kind of interested. You get, you know, some kids who are a little bit more mature for their age and they want to know you and understand you. Did you make some friends at an early age or were you pretty outcast for a while? Well, you know, at an early age, you know, I was hanging around with, I guess, the group of kids that was getting bullied a lot. And then uh, I just decided after a while, um, I'm just going to punch back. Let's see what happens, you know, even though, you know, if, if it was, you know, a while the guy was taking off his jacket or something, I would throw the first punch because I knew, that, you know, the heat was coming. So, um, you know, I, I, I say after the second time, the first time I came home with a bloody nose, the, the, the second time I came home with a black eye and a bloody lip. So my mom was like, let's go. We're, we're going to go find a martial arts dojo. You, you, you got to defend yourself, you know? So, right. And so uh, of course, you know, your mom taking that stance, right. It wasn't like, you know, run away and go tell a teacher. It was more along the lines of, Hey, you got to learn to defend yourself. And so do you remember kind of that day that your mom took you down to the dojo and, you know, filled out the paperwork and signed you up? Yeah. You know, um, one thing good about my mom, she, she did a little bit of research. She went there, she did a couple of interviews. And then it, I, I think it, after about two different visits um, uh, from, well, we visited like a, like a, a karate school and she didn't like how, how the, 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 the instructor was teaching he he was really kind of like um um that hardcore you know do it or else you know and so my mom didn't uh join there and then we found a, a, a traditional taekwondo and then um you know um, a vietnamese teacher uh, and then uh 
that that's where she put me in, you know. And the, the, this teacher also taught traditional Vietnamese kung fu, and then he also had a fifth degree black belt in um, in um, you know taekwondo. So we we ended up joining there, but it didn't last long because after ten months, my mom was working way too many jobs. Uh, you know, sometimes she got up to three jobs. You know, she had one main job, another part time, and then she, you know, um, be a waitress um, at a you know. At, at, at a restaurant uh, whenever you know they, they they needed extra people so yeah i think um there was a lot more stereotypes back in the 70s and early 80s because you know most famous asian people on tv or movies tended to be stereotyped in these you know action type roles and martial arts um when you first went to the dojo was the um actual instructor was he american or was he a- asian um, the, the the first one was American. Because I, I was just thinking, have you ever seen the movie Napoleon Dynamite? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you remember I, the martial arts instructor in there? Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. thinking about that dude, like you walking in and... <laughs> no, he was more like, like we walked in, he had a little bit of gut, you know, uh, his, 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 his gi was open, you know, hairy chest and, you know, and already, you know, I was like, uh, you know, <laughs> I was already intimidated my mom thought, let's 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 talk to an instructor. We watch the end of the class, and then she started talking to him. And I remember she said, "You have any questions?" I just <laughs> no. Now was so, that, now? Did you say was that was that karate that one? Yeah, that first dojo. What what style of karate was that? Uh, it was either uh, I, I can't. Is that, I think it's uh, Shotokan. Shotokan. Okay, yeah, I did a little Shotokan, and I did uh, started off doing Wataru. That was the first. Yeah. One, that was the first one I did before I moved on to Tai Chi and stuff because I was tired of getting kicked in the face. If I'm honest, but um, you know, from there, how how long did you do martial arts before you really found a love for it? Because I know you did it initially out of a necessity, self protection. Um, but how long was it before you kind of actually fell in love with it and felt this was really something for you? You know, I, I believe the first day I went in um, and just the physical activity, like the learning how to roll, how to roll backwards and then do some cartwheels and, and then, um, and then all these agility drills, that was really fun. The instructor made it really, you know, fun. And then, you know, the group of kids that I was with, um, you know, they, you know, they were, um, new as well, but they, I'm sure they had about two or three weeks before, you know, joined two or three weeks before I did. So, it, it was a good group, and uh, but the whole thing was my my mom being so inconsistent. I was never able to rank up, so I was still like a white belt. And these kids, after ten months, were like already green belt, you know. So, um, you know, it 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 was it it was fun, and then I think I got a lot of um, like you know, like I got a little bit of a better cardio and agilities, and then then. I ended up uh, finding wrestling in, you know, after, after that and wrestled from seventh grade all the way to my second college. Yeah. And then of course, at some point after that, you get into kickboxing and I don't know if that's typically a natural progression or whatever to go from, you know, the martial arts, whatever into kickboxing. And so you get into kickboxing and now you start fighting professionally uh, tell us where you went from that whole martial arts getting into kickboxing and, and what took you into that? Well, first, um, like after wrestling, I actually um, 
it was my second year in junior college and I was the defending a junior college state champion. And I, I got upset at, uh, you know, in my second, like in the second round. So I had to wrestle all the way back to get third. So I was in a really bad space. I kind of like, you know, stopped going to school after that. And, I, and then, um, and then, uh, just kind of like, you know, kind of like decompressed and then, and then, um, um, my mom's uh, travel agency, she opened up a travel agency and she, she needed help. So I, I ended up going there for about six months uh, while I was, you know, still going to wrestling practice, but you know, not just, I was just going just because I was helping out a couple of my buddies that were still wrestling. And then, um, and then uh, I ended up um, deciding to go back and find the the, the same teacher that was teaching me when I was younger in, in Taekwondo. I, I, I went back to his dojo and went in and started training and then, then started doing tournaments and uh, I was doing Taekwondo tournaments. And then, I, and I guess from there, we, we got an invitation to the U S open Sancho, you know, uh, it was a, a U.S. open invitational by Sean Liu in Alabama. So I went out to Alabama and, uh, I flew out by myself, had no corner, uh, raised the money myself, went out there and um, fought in two uh, weight divisions and then uh, uh, and won um, both division and uh, broke my hand and uh, fractured my foot and then had to go home by myself. It was uh, it was it was rough, but I came home with uh, two uh, two uh, trophies and it was uh, it was that from that point that was a that started the addiction into martial arts, you know, uh, I healed up and I was like, when's the next tournament? And after that tournament, you know, um, the Sean Liu, which was a promoter, he was also like a lower level monk. He, um, ended up like contacting me and saying, Hey, the nationals are coming up. I was like, okay, where's it? And he's uh, Orlando. Then I went there. I won that. Then, um, from at the, after I won the nationals, they told me, Hey, there's a U.S. team trials coming up. Uh, it'd be about, um, about, uh, three months. And then, uh, I said, okay. And I trained for that. And I ended up getting on the team, becoming team captain. And then, uh, you know, I brought home, uh, you know, uh, a, a bronze medal at the world championships. So it, you know, kind of like from there was how I, like I did, like, I mean, close to a hundred amateur Sancho fights, you know, and then that's not including the Taekwondo matches. I had the point fighting. I did a lot of point fighting too. And then uh, a lot of continuous sparring. And I, you know, I did a few uh, full contact tournaments, uh, you know, where you go in and you get to hit to the head really hard, but they call it semi-contact, but people were getting knocked out like left and right. So I was like, Oh, that, this is not semi-contact. So, you know, going in there. And then uh, again, I was like, after I won my division, I'm like, Hey, is there like a grand champion? So they're like, Hey, you want to fight the heavyweight? And I remember at this one full contact, I'm like, uh, Sure, you know, I, I figure you know the heavyweight might be a little bit ch uh, chubby, and then uh, I looked over as a big, strong, uh, big, strong guy, and I just, I just ran around and scored points, and then and and beat him on on points, and then and then winning the world, uh, you know, the grand grand champion there. I remember that tournament was at it was held at San Jose State, um, where where I you know my my hometown, so it, it was just uh, from that point when I got that full contact in, I was like, okay, I need to find more of these. These are the right tournaments. Some type of tournaments I get disqualified for, for, you know, you can't punch to the face. And when you try to punch where that open spot on the chest here is to the neck, you know, you accidentally hit the face sometimes. And 
So, you know, I just got tired of getting disqualified at the point a tournament for drawing blood or getting to the face in Taekwondo. Then, you know, then I found, you know, I found the, the, the full contact event in, um, in Alabama, went there and the rest is history, you know, three bronze medals, uh, represented the U.S. three times, coached the U.S. team uh, as an assistant coach in 2003. Then 2005, I was um, the um, head coach uh, and then was the only um, U.S. team to bring home uh, six medals, two silvers and four, four bronze medals. And uh, four of those students were, were, were my own students. Now, um, one of the first movies which got wild, um, worldwide kind of, um, I guess, exposed in martial arts was The Karate Kid. Yeah. And th this was a great movie for expanding, you know, obviously the audience for martial arts, getting kids into martial arts. But it was also a very bad movie because it was a fantastic guide to get in your ass kicked because it made the training seem very, very simple. And I know that, you know, I understand the premise of wax on, wax off on the movements, you know, certain martial arts and stuff. But it was a very poor guide in terms of how quickly and how easy it actually is to be able to take care of yourself in a fight. And you mentioned the semi-contact. The first time I started doing um, martial arts, when I did the Wataru Karate, the first tournaments we went to was just simply touch. You know, you kind of touch somebody and scored a point. But then when I did the first uh, semi-contact one, I was standing there and within about two seconds, this guy did a spinning back fist, caught me right in the ear and I hit the ground like a sack of potatoes. And I remember laying there thinking, Hmm, this is interesting. Now, I actually got up and won the fight because I kicked him in the gut as he rushed towards me with the next one. But at that point, I had to make a hard decision about, do I really want to go in fights with people who are just, you know, because even if you go into a pretty easy competition, the first few fights, you know, you might win pretty decently, take a few hits. But by the time you get to the semis and the finals and you start coming up against those better fighters, you know you're probably going to get hit quite a few times and pretty hard and it takes a special type of mentality i guess to embrace that and think yeah i can i can do this i don't mind getting kicked and punched in the face continually what what age were you when you went to full contacts i know you mentioned there's a there's a small room of difference between you know the kind of semi-contact and the full contact we had a rule that if there was blood you got disqualified so you tried not to hit them you know too much in the front part of the face but you know you'd concentrate on the ears and that type of thing you know what age did you actually move to full contact was that pretty early on yeah I, well you know I, I you know because i did wrestling then um i got back into the martial arts um after my second year in college so my first um full uh, semi contact which was that one tournament i won my weight division was back then was like 170 uh, and to 176 or something like that. And then, um, uh, and then I went on to uh, fight the heavyweight for the overall, um, title. And then, um, I, I just, uh, it must've been 20 or 21. And, and, you know, from there I just started looking and then I finally found, you know, the, um, the, the full contact in Alabama, uh, probably a, like a year, a year and a half later, you know? Right. And so, so now you, you find that full contact and that's where you say, okay, yeah, this, this is what I've really been wanting to do. It, it wasn't kind of everything behind, but all of that stuff behind kind of led up to the, the whole full contact and then getting you into the 
kickboxing and uh, let's kind of talk about the kickboxing career. It's more impressive than I thought it was because of the way the Wolf wrote down your record. I thought you had fought 34 professional fights and what had like a 500 record because he wrote 17 of 17. I said 17 wins, 17 losses. Well, apparently the English don't do it like we do it here in America. It should have been 17-0 for 17 wins and no losses. He wrote 17 out of 17, so 17 wins out of 17 fights. It's those little differences, right? But walk us through uh, your kickboxing career in those seventeen and O record. Um, uh, it, it started in like tournament style, like Shidokan, and um, uh, like like the first tournament I won was like you know then I got five thousand, and right from there, um, uh, like two weeks later, I ended up fighting in the Draka circuit. It was back in the day. It was at the LA Forum. And uh, some Russian promoters, you know, um, uh, uh, put it together. They try to put it on pay-per-view. But I remember my first fight actually as, um, as a professional in the state of California where the Athletic Commission was part of it um, uh, was against Geek Israelin um, from um, either uh, Kazakhstan or uh, like a, one of the Russian uh, uh, countries. And, and, um, you know, I, I dominate the fight, but I was still banged up from the Shidokan. I remember in the fourth round, he clipped me and I was like on wobbly legs. I was like, Oh, like what's going on with my legs. And I was like backing up and he was chasing me down. And then I tied him up and then I, you know, I, I shook it off and then I, I came back and, and got the scissor kicks in the, in, in the fifth and, and, and final round and got a big, big win. And, and from there, like right away, Scott Coker recruited me. And then um, I signed on to fight at his at, at his um, uh, promotion at Strikeforce, and and then I was out there uh, in Orange County visiting Rob um, uh, Razor Rob McCauley and then Tiki, um, who's a manager now. And uh, I went out there to do some extra rounds because you know I was looking for uh, better sparring partners. And plus, I knew Rob and Tiki, so I went out there. And then Draka had another event, and I remember it was Friday. I flew in on Friday and then I sparred with the guys and they're like, Hey, we're going to go to weigh-ins. I'm like, let's just go to the fights and just like go eat. Cause like I'm starving. Like after a training, I flew in, got out the plane and you know, we, we like got, they picked me up, went straight to the gym. Like I didn't even, I just got off the gym, uh, like off the plane and I was like, let's go, you know, like sparring. And then we got there and they're like, Hey Kong, um, uh, someone fell out. We, we, we need you to uh, like, you know, like uh, Rob's manager, Mike Nolte, um, uh, we, we, you know, he, 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 he talked Rob and Tiki into like, he talked him into like fighting. And then I remember during the sparring match, I, um, I, I kicked, uh, Rob's elbow and it's kind of split my, in between my toes. It was pretty bad. It was like bleeding all over the place. And that, that's why we stopped sparring. But, um, I got there and, you know, next thing I know, I'm like, you know, they're like, Hey, um, Way in, I was like, huh, man, I'm. We just got done sparring, you know. We, just, I, I didn't know I was. I, I got a fight in two weeks. We, sh, I should be doing this. And they're like, ten grand. I was like, all right, sign me up. I'm ready. You know, <laughs> I'm in. And then, uh, yeah, I signed up. And then, uh, you know, I was like, oh man, uh, dear God, please don't let me get injured. Uh, this is a great opportunity, and I definitely got to pay bills. And 
pay some expenses. So I, um, I, uh, you know, I, 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 I jumped in and I, I fought and the crazy thing is they're like, Oh, you know, this is a third team, um, fighter from, from Japan. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. And we, we didn't know, um, you know, how to look him up. And then Tiki ended up finding out the next day when I was getting my hand wrapped, he walked in, he's all, all right, got some bad news for you. Um, uh, Monaro Taro, uh, he, like, I remember Tiki was like, uh, he didn't want to say it. And he's like, I'm going to tell me. He's like, no, you know what? I'm just going to bring this guy in. You, and some, some guy, like one of his buddies, you tell him. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, well, Monaro Taro is the first one to win in a Lampini Stadium. And he, he beat a, a former Lampini Stadium champion. I was like, oh, that really sucks. I'm like, my hand's getting wrapped. I'm like, this is great. It's my second, like, real pro fight. I got a... I got Scott Coker show next week. Um, oh man, uh, I, you know this. Uh, this is a bad idea. And I said, you know, I just all right. Finished. Got got my hands wrapped. I just got down, prayed to God, said, "Hey, yeah, yeah, you wouldn't put too much on my shoulders." So I'm just gonna go and do it. Um, all glory goes to you. And I went out there. 52 seconds later, got the KO win, and then um, you know went to Disneyland. So yeah, no, um. <laughs> We were actually talking on the show the other day about the whole good news, bad news scenario. It all depends on the deliverer, what they consider the good news and the bad news. Um, did they actually deliver any good news with that bad news? Because for me, I'd have rather not known. It's great to have advice like, oh, this guy you're coming up against, he's got a you know, strong front kick, he's got a great front jab, you know, um, he's going to try and lure you in and hit you with a flurry of punches but the last thing you want to hear is like yeah this guy's almost unbeatable i mean did they deliver any good news with that or was it just hey good luck they just told me he kicked really hard and um you know um uh, you know don't get in a clinch with him he he, he likes to knee so I, I said well this it's uh draka rules so it's like sancho rules so i'm just gonna pick his ass up and throw him uh threw him a few times and then uh I started getting my rhythm in and then I, I, he kicked a few times. I blocked it and like, holy moly, that was some, I'm going to have some bruises on my forearm, you know? Yeah. I, I, more and I'm, uh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to have to pick it up here. So I just, I put a um, jab cross hook, left kick, and then my right kick came over, clipped the top of the head. And, you know, next thing I know he was knocked out and I had to do my backflip and gave all glory to God and went in, collected you know, the track. And I was like, I'm out of here. You guys have fun. And they're like, you don't want to watch stay and watch the fight. And I, I actually want to stay and to watch, um, a Ramadan fight. Um, uh, Manu Ento, who's, a, a another awesome Muay Thai fighter from France. And then, uh, uh, Ramadan was the guy I lost to at the world championships as an amateur, but these Russians, you know, they get paid for winning world championships. Cause he was part of the, like the, the, um, special forces and all they do is train fight shoot guns and train their tactical and go to tournaments so th this guy this guy i, I want to see him because i want to fight him because he he beat me and then um manu beat up his leg but he manu was getting thrown all over the place manu is another guy that um my um my robin uh my manager managed too so manu went in there and you know, um, had a tough, grueling fight, but, you know, Ramazan was just too much. Had the sidekicks, had the takedowns, caught his roundhouses and picked them up and jumped up in the air and slammed them down. And 
you know, Manu was able to finish the fight, but, um, you know, uh, where Manu got body slammed to death and sidekick to the face, Manu beat his legs up pretty good. So I was like, you know, you know, I pushed for that fight, but, you know, Draka, um, you know, ended up going out of business and then, um, um, well, not going out of business, but lost a lot of money. So they didn't do any more pay-per-views and I just stuck with Scott Coker and, you know, the rest is history. Yeah. yeah, I had a couple of questions. Um, a lot of fighters have signature moves and good martial arts analysts can see the genesis of where those moves came from in terms of, you know, the first kind of perhaps martial arts style they undertook. Did you have any signature moves which you were particularly effective at? I think my best move was kind of blocking kicks and punches with my head, which I seem to be very good at. Um, didn't help so much with the fighting. But yeah, I think my best move was trying to avoid away, yeah, yeah, not exactly. sign, Not signing up not for signing it in the first up, place. Right. Um, and also... You were you fought as a middleweight. Did you ever fight in any other divisions? Because I know now that's pretty controversial, especially um, in UFC. I was listening to an episode of Joe Rogan, and he was talking about these fighters who would lose weight so rapidly to make a division, get weighed, and then you know obviously try and put that weight back on. But it was a very unhealthy approach, and they're looking at narrowing the gaps between. Uh, different weight bands did you fight in different weight bands and also sorry going back to that original question you know did was there any signature moves you were kind of renowned for then or you felt was really a you know strength in your arsenal you know i, I think people just like the way i fight i think i got famous from the scissor kick you know i was scissor kicking everyone in in the kickboxing or, or the sancho i was already um scissor kicking people when i was doing the continuous uh, uh you know like there's a world uh, championships in Las Vegas where they had point fighting, then they had continuous sparring uh, and the continuous sparring, you kick to leg. You just got to be lighter to the head, but you can really open up to the body. And then uh, I, I remember uh, it was like, um, it was, a I can't remember it was a one or two day tournament. I, I just remember by the end of the, uh, by the end of the night, by the times I got to the finals, I, I had scissor kicks. A couple guys where, um, you know, one guy, uh, kind of his ankle popped because he tried to brace and fight against it and his ankle like his ankle kind of it didn't break like where the bone stuck out but it was pretty awful and then um um, um I, I got to the semifinals and it was a, a fighter from mexico and or guatemala like i can't remember exactly but i beat him i seriously kicked him and in the finals i had a a, a, a point fighter who's who fought in the continuous from team Paul Mitchell, um, you know, the karate circuit, they, they, you know, Paul Mitchell sponsored a lot of them. And then, um, uh, he ended up forfeiting, um, uh, forfeiting. So I didn't have to fight finals. I got a belt. I got, um, thousand dollars uh, cash. And then, um, and then, uh, you know, just, uh, went and, uh, ate and, you know, do all the things, what fighters do after like eat, uh, bad junk food and ice cream and stuff like that and you know um enjoyed vegas Play some, there's absolutely yeah. nothing wrong with ice cream i want to go on the record and say that is not a junk food that is a fabulous food but that that's what i would probably do before the fight and then i'd probably end up getting my butt kicked but uh kind of following back up with tristan because that's kind of interesting to me too i always i i don't watch that much you know, UFC or, or any of the fighting or whatever. I catch it every now and then. Uh, so I don't know too much about it, but you always see the deal where, you know, they're fighting in a weight class and this is what they were at the weigh in. 
but then like tonight, this is what they weigh. And so there's all this kind of weight fluctuation. I'm guessing that was something that happened way back when still happens today. I mean, what, what are kind of your thoughts about that, you know, dropping the weight and then putting the weight back on and the toll that it could take on your body? Well, you know, as soon as I got to martial arts fighting, um, whether it's point or Taekwondo or, you know, continuous or full contact or Sanda or MMA, I just didn't want to cut too much weight because I did a lot of weight cutting in high school. And I, I, I just, it, it was, it, it was not fun at all. I didn't enjoy my um, sophomore year, my junior year and nor my senior year, just because it was just too much like cutting weight to make weight for one tournament is one thing, but it's like every week cutting weight, like, you know, because every week, well, as soon as the season started, we had tournaments every week. Then we had a dual meet, um, you know, on Wednesday, then we wrestle on Saturday. So it, it was just, uh, I just got like, you know, I didn't want to cut like crazy weight. So when I went in, whether I was the smallest guy in the weight division, I just said, I'm, I'm here to have fun I'm here to fight. Then when I started making money, I was like, I'm not going to kill myself to make weight because then I won't perform at my best, you know, because I, I remember in high school, um, every time I cut weight, I just never felt right. And I just remember when I moved up to, you know, um, to fill in diff- like a like a higher weight for the team during the dual meets, I was beating like really tough guys. And, you know, even some uh, CCS, which is the, our section, then you go to state, I was beating guys that was placing in state. Uh, qualifiers then I then I beat um you know during dual meets you know like we had a dual meet tournament and then uh you know I, I beat a couple of uh guys that were ranked in state so I was like man I should fight up but then my um you know my best friend Manuel Chavez he couldn't he couldn't make 145 so it was then as a senior I ended up cutting a lot of weight and you know not enjoying my senior year during that wrestling period part you know but weight cutting I, I truly believe the amount of weight that some of these guys cut is very dangerous, you know? And, um, you know, I think a lot of them, you know, would perform very well at the next weight up. As, as you see, some, some guys can fight in three different weight classes, you know? So, you know, it's just, you got, you got to pick and choose what you're going to do. You know? yeah. Now, did you play uh, a lot of video games, martial arts video games? I think it was Tekken, which was the first game which brought in different fighting styles that were actually quite realistic in terms of the approach of the fighters in the game. And now you have obviously titles like, you know, Electronic Arts UFC, where you have representations of real fighters and it actually reflects their styles pretty well. But um, I remember listening to a fighter saying that he actually learned about different styles playing um, video games and it kind of inspired him to actually learn, you know, other martial arts to add, you know, different moves to his fighting style. Did you actually get into other fighting styles and stuff when you kind of realized, you know what, perhaps I need a different way of attacking and fighting somebody who's got a strong, I don't know, strong, close punching game that, you know, you needed to learn different methods and also please answer the one about whether you played uh, video games <laughs> you know back in the day yeah I play a lot of video games start with like street fighter but when tekken came out you know that kind of that's all she wrote because i was like oh martial law you know i'm I, I didn't play anyone else except martial law right and then uh so i mean 
from the games, I already knew because I was one of those guys that wanted to learn. I, I was a, I was a student of the game and I'm still the student of the game. I'm always learning. I, I, I can always make improvements in, in whatever I do really good, whether it's a scissor kick or my back kick, I can always make improvements. So um, I, I, I always seek knowledge, you know, and um, you know, games is, is one thing for me, but I didn't like play like some of the, like I, I would spend more time training then I would play, but there, there's been some times where, you know, I start at, at night, I'm playing games and I look out the window. I'm like, Oh man, it's morning. But that, that's more like, you know, call of duty, duty zombies, you know, yeah. I could fighting games all night, you know, but like, I can definitely get into like some, you know, end of the world uh, stuff, you know, some run and gun and, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, uh, I think the last time I played little games with my son, Anthony, I think it was about three months ago and, you know, and, and he was just way too good. So I was like, ah, you know, let's, let's play on the same team instead of playing against each other, you know? Yeah. So. Is, isn't that the worst feeling, you know, when you start playing games with your kid and used to, it was, Hey dad, can you help me beat this level? And now you're playing with your kid and they're beating you up. And like you say, it's like, I don't want to do this one V one anymore. Yeah. Let's be on the same team and all that good stuff. Kind of uh, ironic. You brought up the tech and thing. Let's, move, uh, you know, kind of farther along in the life. Right. And so after fighting or, or of course, you know, still during fighting or whatever, you got into acting, uh, what, what made the acting bug kind of bite you and what got you into acting? Well, yeah, I think the acting bug didn't like really bite me. Um, um, thinking back about it now, um, I just, uh, I was a, I was able to, make money doing, you know, martial arts, uh, not, you know, and, and not getting hurt. Right. But then the hours are really long, but I just been blessed with some opportunities so I can experience it. And, um, you know, uh, I, I, I enjoyed my, uh, you know, um, my, my time doing films and then, uh, you know, it, it eventually it's kind of like, you know, like, like, look at the world we live in now, you know, it's just, it's crazy. So uh, right now, you know, I, 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 when I look back, I can say, wow, I did so much. Thank you, God. Um, but right now, I think it's just another uh, – it, it's a time of, you know, um, we're, we're living in some dark times. I truly believe we're living in a revelations, you know. Uh, as you see, they're pushing it. You can't, you know, buy, sell, or trade uh, without a, you know, vaccine passport, you know, what, what what is really happening going on? I mean, to the point where even the elites, so-called, whatever Illuminati or or uh, the Masons, they, they put the Georgia stones up, saying that you know the the population should be like at five hundred million. Oh yeah, like, the uh, the Georgia Guidestones. Yeah, yeah, it's like wow. Like yeah, so, what are you gonna do with the other billions of people? How you're gonna and look what's happening you know I'm, you know i'm yeah there's so many different signs you know um, like people are saying oh it's the mark of the beast well if, if, if bill gates's patent number is zero six zero six zero six and then you have to sign a waiver you know to give your all your rights of suing them in case something does happen to you or your kids uh you know uh, and the patent number is zero six zero six zero six. What are you truly putting in your arm? You're putting the mark of the beast in your arm. 
and look at the like the, the stuff that is coming out now on it you know nanotechnology you're no longer i'm not sure if you guys heard it you're no longer uh um human if you got the shot because the nanoparticle has changed you and manipulated your dna and now you're transhuman so yeah, yeah. Was, um, i hadn't heard the whole transhuman yeah, thing yeah, yeah there's a um well the, there's something in the vaccine which reacts with graphene um, which I'd read, which makes substantial changes within your body. But I haven't done too much research on that. But, you know, I did do a lot of research on the guy who invented the mRNA vaccine technology or uh, methods. And, you know, he's been silenced across a lot of social media because he said, you know, this one-size-fits-all vaccine does not work with this delivery me- method because whenever you... Um, tailor anything towards rna almost needs to be individually tailored because that's where your identity is in your right nuclear acid and um he says a one size fits all it will only act like one size fits all clothing it'll do a good job for about 10 percent of people but the other 90 percent of people it's useless for and we've seen now you know it came out a few days ago the efficacy of the johnson and johnson vaccine drops down to three percent after six months so i mean it's pretty pretty clear by now and even some of the mainstream media outlets which would never have asked questions even before have started questioning the efficacy of these vaccines and is it the right approach because you know in highly vaccinated countries like israel and the united kingdom they're still having an explosion of cases i think in um, israel it's about 70 percent vaccination at the moment but in the united kingdom it's 85 percent but in the United Kingdom, they're going through a big surge again at the moment, and it's hitting, you know, more vaccinated than unvaccinated, depending on which, you know, news report you read. But that led me into a question I was going to ask you. Over the last kind of year and a half, especially with you being in California and the, being very strict with the lockdowns and, you know, restriction of business, how, how did that affect you? I mean, you're obviously still there, and I know things aren't back to normal. I mean, here in Texas, probably about nine months ago, they kind of lifted most stuff, and it's pretty much back to where it was before the pandemic. You know, some people wear masks because it makes them feel more comfortable. But, you know, we're not really restricted what we can do, where we can go. But I know California is still, you know, in areas, uh, you know, pretty tightly controlled. How did that affect you during that period, and how is it still affecting you now? Well, you know, I mean, I was doing some privates, you know, and then uh, I was doing a lot of stuff for a Bay Area Tactical. Uh, I'm a part of them. So, um, we got overwhelmed with, like, people wanting to learn how to use firearms. And um, a lot of them were Asians because, as you see out here, there's, like, a big attack on Asians. Not just out here, but, you know, kind of like around the U.S. and, you know, some parts of the world. But, you know, um, a lot of people are, like, you know, buying guns and learning how to use their gun properly for gun safety and, you know, different tactics for their house, how, how they, you know, control their, their, you know, their, their, their home. Uh, if a, if a home invader came in, so we got like Bay area tactical, they got overwhelmed with classes and classes. And I was doing it for a bit. Then once the COVID hit literally like we six, you know, you know, the social distance, distance and six feet apart, you know, why six feet? We, there's all these hidden, you know, 
things going on. You know, why I, I you know, like who, who, who's controlling the elites, you know, got to ask that question, you know, it's crazy. So, but, um, yeah, it, it definitely affected me. Um, but you know, um, been pretty well, I've uh, been pretty good, um, uh, with, you know, saving my money, you know, over the years of fighting. I think we lost you there for a second, Kong. I think the, I think the elites are uh, messing yeah. with our internet connection here. Let's see if we can get you reconnected. They got that kill switch down to Do a they? fine art, don't they? Apparently you know, when they so. want to cut you off when you're recording. Yeah. I think oh. the last time we spoke about anything controversial, we had about three fighter jets come over within that is 20 true. seconds. That They're is true. drone strike us. No, I'm, well. it's a it's a shame that they uh, did like shut down his internet connection because yeah we got the uh, the frozen face there, Kung. I don't know yeah. if you can hear us or not on your side. So Kung, I am going to text you right now. Oh, and oh. we just lost him. All hopefully, right. hopefully he'll chime back in here in a second. But you know, kind of interesting on that. Like you said, I mean, right as we start talking about that, all of a sudden, you know the the whole connection dies down and everything, but uh, but yeah, we're we're gonna send him a, a text here and hopefully be able to reconnect with you here momentarily. So we're just gonna hit the pause button for a second. Yeah, I know mostly record recording in progress. Oh, sorry, well, so I literally said I'm gonna hit the pause button and then you started talking. Yeah, I don't, I don't really listen much. If oh. I'm not looking at you, I'm probably not listening. Oh, that's, that's true. A good rule. Yeah, I'll call I mean, it off my dog. I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, even though we're wearing headphones and you don't have to look at me to hear me because you can hear me in your headphones. Yeah, but I figured at an early age that is a good way to get people to leave you alone. That oh. If you didn't bother looking at them and listening, they'd kind of think, I'll move on, talk to somebody yeah. else. Yeah. But um, yeah, our internet, what's going on with our internet? Because uh, every time I bring my laptop in, I'm a good uh, user of BitTorrent to... Uh, get movies because i hate going to the movies here we go he's coming back in now here we go all right kung uh good to see you again you got your microphone on mute there uh make sure to hit that there we go go. i was was just saying to uh, the shepherd um the powers that be have that kill switch down to a fine art as soon as we talk about anything controversial you were like cut off in an instant are, are you sure that the the noise next door to you this way and this way isn't paranormal? Because you know, usually it could be that too. You know, oh, <laughs> that, right. that's a good point. You yeah. know, it, it very well could be. I I think there is like you know a listening device because obviously we're not doing this live, right? And so it'll come out later on. But uh, we were talking about one. We were. Uh, we can't even remember exactly what we were talking about, but it was controversial or whatever. And it was just him and I talking and two fighter jets like screamed right over the top of our little studio here. And you could just hear them. And we kind of looked at each other like, God, are, are they listening to us? But eh, you never know. But anyway, let's uh, try to get back on topic and what we were talking about with uh, what you were saying with, you know, What's going on with the the whole who's looking at the elites and and all that kind of jog your memory back to where we were? Yeah, um, what I was saying is like, look, you got the elites trying to control everything. They're trying to, you know, um, they want us to own nothing and be happy, and they own everything. And of course, they, they're going to be very happy. But you know, I think there's uh, a lot of Christian and a lot of patriots that will step up and 
you know, um, fight back. Well, one of, one of the things which has not troubled me, but kind of surprised me over the last year and a half is this phrase, trust the science and, you know, science changes and they've used this, um, excuse to explain why there's been so much flip-flop in changing of mind what we said six months ago was true then but suddenly not true now but you know I've always held this firm belief that science is constant our interpretation of it based upon what data we have is our view of science I mean just because we misunderstand gravity doesn't mean that's what gravity is gravity is gravity if we have bad math which we apply to it and, you know, things don't work out. It doesn't mean that gravity has changed. It just means we haven't found a way yet, you know, to accurately represent gravity. And I find that with this whole COVID thing that, you know, the excuse at the beginning from the CDC and WHO about masks not working, they work. They work if you wear a certain type. Now jump and wear two masks, three masks is even better. And then back down to, you know, okay, change your mask regularly and let's have mask mandates everywhere. Some places not having mask mandates and there being absolutely no difference in the transmission um, numbers coming out of that. It really disturbs me that people now can pretty much tell a bare-faced lie and then three months later turn around and say, oh, it was the science that changed. And that makes up their ineptitude and making decisions based upon bad data. And I mean, it doesn't matter what business you're in. If you make decisions based upon bad data, you're setting yourself up for failure. But normally the only recipient of that failure is you or the people in your close circle. But we're talking about people making bad decisions from incomplete data or bad data, which is affecting the world. And you know, the the effects of these shutdowns, the economical impacts are going to be going on for decades to the point where some people are never going to recover. Those businesses are never going to recover. And where some states like Texas, Florida have pulled away from these rains they've tried to put on us, there's still a lot of states, again, like California, New York, where, you know, people must be pretty panicky about how much longer they can keep down this path under this restriction before, you know, a, a lot of people are not going to be able to be, you know, sustaining of their lifestyle, being able to look after their family. And, you know, we've had a lot of influx of people from California and New York into Texas here because they want to escape that overreach by, you know, local government, state government. Where do you see, I guess, over the next six months, the direction of where everything's going to go? Um, I think only God knows what's going to really happen. And of course, the elites got the plan. Um, I truly believe this is like premeditated, pre-planned. And, um, you know, there's enough evidence that they've been talking about some of this way back in the day. And it trickles because people are starting to research it and find all these evidence and th those are the conspiracy theorists, but I truly believe that conspiracy theorists' points and facts are backed with a lot of evidence. Or you just wait three to six months later because it's going to happen. Because what they're what people are saying, oh, they are lying or whatever. You know, um, uh, how I see it in six months is uh, I feel like you know 
it's going to come down to um, how many people will comply. And, and, you know, I, I truly believe what a lot of doctors out there that they've been saying that when your immune system, because you've taken the vaccine, um, you know, when, the when, when your immune system don't even notice the, a normal common flu or something, then you're going to get really sick. And a lot of people could pass from it. I, I've, I've seen some lectures out there and some breakdowns out there that some doctors expect 2 billion people to die. That's a lot of people. And this is not just like a natural, you know, disaster that something happened. This is like a man-made agenda. And uh, they literally put it on a stone in 12 different languages. So, you know, I just, I don't know. Either, either more people will wake up or more people will comply. And, you know, um, we're, we're, I think we're headed into very dark times. That's yeah. where it's definitely kind of interesting how you bring up that uh, conspiracy theory part because it seems like, you know, at the heart of any conspiracy theory, no matter what it is, there's always a hint of truth. And some of them have a lot more than others. And, you know, you got to kind of sift through that. And the comment that you made, you know, about the, the man-made part, that was something a year ago, right? If you would have said that, you'd have been, oh, you know, you're crazy and blah, blah, blah. And now all of a sudden you can say it. And the narrative, so to speak, has changed, and there's more people that are subscribing to the lab leak theory. So now it's not a conspiracy theory or a fringe theory or a fringe thought. It's like, okay, well, hang on, maybe this was possible, and now you're not just getting thrown in the mud for saying it. Who knows what you'll be able to say in six months? But, I mean, that whole lab leak theory, like you say, now you can say it, and people don't think you're crazy. I mean, I've, I've had some, um, some, some, some people that are very healthy that I, that I know. Um, and you know, um, when, when, when they take in the vaccine and they pass away, it's, uh, it's, there's no, there's no news on it. There's nothing on it. And, you know, I, you know, I, the family knows, but uh, you know, I, I'm. It, it, people are not speaking up, speaking up on it. Just like, why are they the Asians being attacked so much? Because they don't say much. So let's attack them. I think all this is pre-planned, premeditated. You know, push. You know, divide and conquer. That's what. That's what's happening. Yeah, so. and I and I think the media has done. If you want to call it a great job, if you can be great at doing something nefarious or insidious. They've done a great job of demonizing people who have a difference of opinion to the official narrative. I mean, being given the label anti-vaxxer because you're against one particular shot is this term which is thrown around a lot because, you know, I do believe in vaccines, but the vaccines which have been around for 40 or 50 years and have worked and there's a good solid, you know, set of data behind it and, you know, millions and millions of, you know, different studies where you know kind of pretty much exactly what percentage of people a vaccine won't work for. And, you know, traditionally with vaccines, that number has been very, very small. But, you know, this vaccine apparently isn't a vaccine in, you know, traditional definition. But because if you have any distrust of it, you don't want to take it, you know, you're suddenly 
labeled this anti-vaxxer and it's now they're trying to closely entwine it with people who believe in flat earth theory all this other stuff they're genuinely trying to look trying to make people seem that they're mentally disturbed because they have any objections with this vaccine now i do believe covid is a real disease and I, like you i do believe it was man-made in a lab and if i'd have made that statement on this podcast six months ago would have been pulled from the air within a week but I don't understand the end game of, you know, trying to get everybody vaccinated and everybody realises or they're going to wake up and see, you know what, this stuff just doesn't work. Why am I getting a booster every three months and yet I'm still getting COVID as much as somebody who hasn't had a shot in their arm? But all this vaccine passport stuff, you know, vaccines to get in here, vaccines against, you know, to get in there, which, you know, they have in New York. I don't know um, which counties in um california actually practice it but it's definitely going to that you know two-part system where if you don't have this mark you don't have this passport you don't have this proof that you've had this vaccine it is genuinely going to shut you out of the face-to-face physical trading the only way you're going to be able to buy things is online and even then you wonder kind of you know, will Amazon go to a point where on your account you have to upload your vaccination status? I mean, I know that sounds so far-fetched, but who would have said two years ago would be where we're at now? No, I, I, I totally think it's coming. Um, look, uh, a, a lot of people, like, like, like for me, I'm very, like, proud of, like, my wife and my mother-in-law, right? So my mother-in-law, she doesn't, She's an exorcist, and my wife is a second, a second, like in the Bible, when two or more gathers in God's name, God's in the midst, right? So, um, my my mother-in-law's she's undefeated in over four hundred exorcisms, and when I started this um, website called Spiritual Battles for her and my wife, literally one of my sponsors reached out to me and says, "Hey, I got some some." something weird going on my my fiance is like talking in all these weird languages and then like she has eight different personalities and i put my mother-in-law and it was like nine o'clock at night right and literally she's all we need to get up there right now uh we, we, we wait till the next the second phase of possession i'm like possession and she's all yep there's there's you know demons that already know that we're coming read here right because he sent me a text and he took it out of um uh, sorry coda no sorry my dog um nothing wrong with that we got dogs too <laughs> yeah. but uh you know basically he he copied a, a message out of her journal and they already knew we were coming and it was like literally tell your friends not even come and it's, continue to put him down by the time we got there, everything that my mother-in-law told me, what's going to happen, watch out for the smell, watch out for knocks, do not open the door. I'm going to take her and I'll look for some dirt because like a lot of people, like it's, it's, it's a crazy, like the exorcism, the, the rights to exorcism. A lot of priests, you know, uh, they, you know, they, no one's had that much um, that we know of that had that much experience and was successful like her because she binds it like god made the earth god made dirt so she binded on the dirt the demon and bind it to the body 
and she made in Jesus Christ's name, you cannot do no harm to the body. And like, literally, like I had to bring my son along because it was like um, you know, nine o'clock. He was three hours away. By the time we got there, it was like one something in the morning. We didn't get started till like, like one thirty. And like when it started, uh, long, short story short for you guys. Um, I got my son uh, training today too. I got to uh, uh, leave in a little bit, but um, basically it, it was so loud. They were outside and my friend was like, well, my sponsor was like, what's my neighboring thinking? What, this is, wh what is it? I'm like, you better hope the cops don't come. It's, it was like loud. It was like every other word was fucked and weird, like languages. Like it was just insane. I got firsthand experience. And then, you know, this, I can bring the story up for you guys next time. But like, like literally from that point, every, I started, asking i started like hey let's can you explain to me this part of the bible i don't understand this what does this really mean and uh you know she because she, she studies it like so like she knows it like like you know like at one point literally she had to let my wife move in with the grandparents because like for seven years straight all she did was get up read the bible and get called upon to do exorcism some days some weeks she had like like every single day that she was helping people because a lot of people get nice, uh, you know, needed, you know, this, you know, being exercised, you know, and, and, you know, and she told me that last year in like the request for exorcism was more than ever in the, ever in documented. But as you know, the Vatican, they're not going to go in and perform full exorcisms anymore. And so I feel like she's like, she's like, um, female version of Constantine. Like she smokes, she has a plate in her head from a car accident, one lung. And, um, and she, she, her faith in God and in Jesus is so powerful. It's like literally like when I remember the, the, the guy came out and we're all sitting out in the backyard and see like whenever she does like a real exorcism, she, she, she never talks to the, to the demon. All she does is she, she has to ask, the time you plan to leave and, you know, and, and, you know, and of course, when you call, you know, tell me your name in, in Jesus Christ's, you know, name. And once she calls upon it and it tells you the name, it's all hell's like, it's crazy. So, and it, it, one, one thing. So people like, Oh, come crazy. Well, I don't care what people think. If you believe in God, you better know that there's a devil and, that devil commands legions and legions and legions of demons. And I think a lot of these, you know, what's happening right now is, 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 is like we're living in revelations. A third of man will die. All this stuff. She breaks it down pretty good. She actually, I said, who, who's going to win Trump or Biden? She says, you know, I want Trump to win, but he's not going to win. Biden's going to win. I'm like, cause she's a psychic. She's also a psychic. And, um, Everything that she's been saying has, has has been happening, and and again, I was like, I, we call her Shima. Shima means mom in Apache. She, they're Native American, and um, literally, she, I, I showed her. Here's Biden's rally. There's like five people. Here's Trump. There's like ten blocks of people, like you know, and and when. 
when Biden won, she's a uh, prophecy has to happen. Yeah. I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with the concept of exorcism because it forces them to admit there is an evil at a level beyond what most people excuse as psychotic behavior. But it's a very firm biblical foundation, you know, possession in the New Testament especially. But even strong Christians tend to not want to talk about it. It makes them feel uncomfortable. They hate the fact that, you know, they could walk around, you know, among genuine demons, whether the, you know, demons you know, are in somebody, influencing somebody. You know, I don't think I have ever passed it being read perhaps in Scripture but not being discussed or expanded upon ever heard a preacher in church, and I've been going to church since I was about six or seven years old, ever heard somebody stand up there in the pulpit and actually address something which is pretty widespread in the New Testament. I mean, everything else in the New Testament, you know, you've heard a dozen or a dozen dozen times but you know exorcism possession influenced by evil spirits is very rarely touched upon because i do think a lot of people aren't ready for it even people who have grown up in the church and with that being said i mean i know you've got a very strong christian faith how was that through the through the difficult times and certainly with where you're going in the future i mean i believe you've got your own uh, production company now for movies and stuff you know how much um, of an influence does God have in every decision you make and direction you want to go? Right now, every single thing that I do, um, I, 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 I have a strong connection with God through Jesus Christ because, of course, you have to go through Jesus Christ to get to God. But every time I pray to God, you know, it's always in Jesus Christ's name I pray. You know, so, um, and of course, I, I, I build on my relationship with Jesus too. And, and um, my, my faith is really strong. Um, I, you know, um, now now we, we've taken on, because of spiritual battles, there's a lot of requests, but we have to make sure every request is legitimate. We, we got to make sure they're not, like, mentally ill. And, uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, that's mentally ill. Well, if that's mentally ill, how do they speak these languages? How do they float? How do they run up the walls like that like until you see one you'll never know but when you uh, before we end because i got my son he, he this is the week before he fights in the nationals he's representing california at the national uh like pmt which is a muay thai circuit and um um but before we go my i'm gonna share the story with you guys so my wife was uh at the time was my fiance she was one one month pregnant when we drove out there, but only myself, my mother-in-law, my wife, and my son, Anthony knew that she was pregnant. Cause usually we want to get to like the third month before we let everyone know in case there's a miscarriage. So we didn't tell anyone, you know, we were saving it one month. No one else knew when, when that demon came and was called upon, I had to get my son out of the backyard the my sponsor got smacked and he's like 240 his fiance is um small woman was smacked the sound and the fact that you know i i came out and he was like red mark slapped he he, he almost took it like a joke whatever but like he was on his ass 
my my son's face was like this like what just happened and when i looked at her she was doing stuff weird stuff and i and like she was like get your son out of here so i grabbed him grabbed my buddy closed the door and i was like i gotta peek out i got and she was doing weird stuff and she literally said crawled up to because crawled up where my my wife was and start sniffing her leg and says i'll meet that baby of yours how do you know she was pregnant so from that point i was like oh, all right i'm all in you know I, like th- we we need to save people and that's what she does it literally we zach bagans uh ghost adventures invited us on their show Elk Grove. the long version try to watch the long version it doesn't even do my um my mother-in-law my wife any good because like the stuff that they didn't put on i mean like literally the, the girl got scratched because you know of, of what was going on uh, it was a like a lower level demon and she was like all panicky my wife like grabbed her and says is this how you're gonna protect your kids you need to be stronger if this little scratch that's all they can do but if, if you're so terrified, they're going to do way more than you, than, than this little three scratches. And at that point, I was like, wow, was, well, I fell in love again with my wife. But at the same time, oh, you're being a little too mean. But that's, <laughs> wow. Yeah. That, you know? that That is amazing. That is truly amazing. And Kung, we know you've got to go. i got to get that boy ready for his fight. Uh, let us... Uh, wish him luck. I don't know if, if that's really a fighter thing or not, but what whatever that's supposed to be because you can't, you know, tell an actor good luck. You say break a leg and mm-hmm. I definitely don't want to tell your son to break a leg in a fight. So I don't know what you're supposed to say, but I hope he does well in his fight. Uh, before you go though, and before we sign off, can you please tell everybody how they can find you? Social media, websites, all that good stuff. Of course, we'll have it listed in the show notes, but kind of give people a rundown of how they can find you. Uh, Kung Lee 185 um, on um, Instagram and Kung Lee on um, on Facebook or um, uh, Twitter uh, and check out Spiritual Battles Worldwide and um, it's uh, everyone hey time to wake up we're we're in a spiritual battle here let's yeah, go absolutely well thanks once again for joining us Kung uh, we we really appreciate it so good to meet you uh, looking forward to probably having you back on let's talk more about that exorcism stuff I mean that that's a topic that we kind of went sideways it's like I, I wish we had a couple hours just to delve into all of that but uh, have wife and mom in next time absolutely yes. yeah th- yes. yeah that would be great well, and that will uh, do it for this episode of the wolf and the shepherd thanks once again Kung and we will catch you on the next one thank you Thanks for listening to this episode of the Wolf and the Shepherd podcast. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address, thewolfandtheshepherd.com, to your friends and colleagues. And please leave us a positive review on iTunes when you get a chance. Check us out on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for additional content. Join us next time for another episode of the Wolf and the Shepherd. Ooh.